What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 272 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can follow the podcast on uh, our Facebook and pages on our Facebook page and our page on X, Twitter, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, you can listen to the uh, podcast on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, you can follow the social pages for the uh, latest updates. Uh, great to be back with you folks this week. I know it's been a little bit. I was uh, intending to get this podcast back last week, and then I forgot about all the sports stuff I needed to get caught up on uh, from my you know week away. So uh, decided against the pod last week, but we're here now, and that's what matters. Uh, you may have noticed on the social pages, I kind of gave you guys a bit of a announcement. It's going to kind of be a weird next couple of weeks. I'm going to be uh, away for a couple of different weekends, um, so there won't be Guest Friday for a couple of different Fridays, but we will let you know which ones. Um, obviously, none this, not a no guest Friday this week, but uh, we'll have something. We'll have some. We have some good stuff in the works uh, for the next couple of weeks. But obviously, we'll keep you posted um, each week. There may or may not be a guest Friday, but uh, we'll make sure to keep you folks in the loop. I have a bunch of different events that I'm uh, going to. Got a couple of vacations, a wedding of a friend of the pod. Not going to say who. <laughs> um, so. You know, some exciting stuff for me coming up, but I uh, just want to let you know that the schedule may be a little bit wacky for the next couple of weeks, maybe without some guest Fridays. Um, so, without further ado, I think we're going to get all into, get into all the sports. Um, there is uh, quite a bit of uh, Patriot stuff that has happened uh, between the last time we spoke um, and now. You know, it's been uh, three weeks, I believe. Um, so, a lot's happened. A lot has happened. Uh, the Patriots have played, I believe, have played all three of their preseason games, uh, which is wild that we've had this podcast. They've played all three preseason games, and uh, not once have I been able to talk about either any of the games. Uh, so... You know, I'm not going to rehash every single game. You know, I'm assuming that most of the people listening to this program watched good bits of the first three games and, you know, kind of just give you my thoughts for the overall preseason. So I think the number one biggest thing, um, and I think I've I've said all offseason that the offensive line is going to make or break this team. And I think based on what we've seen in the preseason, you know, it may not be exactly where we want it to be. Although I will say context is very important because I think in most of these games, you know, majority of these three games, the Patriots have been rolling out, you know, third stringers, backups, you know, guys that you wouldn't necessarily expect to get a lot of playing time in the regular season. So, you know, I think we have to consider context when we look at some linemen that are struggling, you know, guys that pretty good chance that some of them don't even make the team. So, you know, I think, sure, are there some concerns? Absolutely, because some of the guys that you're expecting to kind of be your 
you know, core group offensive line. Some guys have gone down and some guys haven't been able to practice very much throughout the offseason. So, you know, I think it's a valid concern. You know, I think the Patriots are doing the best they can with the, the depth that they have. You know, went out and made a, made, made a couple trades uh, yesterday that we'll talk about. But, you know, I think for me, every other spot on the, on the team, I'm not, you know, very concerned about. I mean, obviously, I think it's fair to have some wonders about the cornerback room. I think specifically when you think about, you know, Gonzalez is a rookie. He's going to probably be a starter from day one and or from week one. And you're going to have to live with the mistakes. You know, I think that, sure, we all think that he'll be a very good player. And I think there's a very good chance he will be. But I think we have to remember that he's a rookie and will make mistakes. And I think, you know, there, there's some risk there. You know, Jonathan Jones, we've not seen it practice for a couple weeks. You know, he came was practicing yesterday, but I don't know how or how much he was practicing. So, you know, those are probably your top two guys. You got Jack Jones. You're kind of not really sure about his availability the rest of the season. So, you know, I think that's another position that may be a concern. I feel like concern might be too strong of a word, but I think, you know, offensive line is really kind of has been the story in the preseason. You know, I think some guys have flashed at times. You know, I think me personally, I was very impressed with Keon White in that first game. He was an absolute terror in the backfield uh, against that Houston team. So really, really liked what I saw from him. You know, I think for the most part, Gonzalez had a pretty decent preseason, you know, had some things that happened, you know, and I think that, again, with a rookie cornerback who's a starter, you're going to have to kind of live with some of some of his lumps, which they will happen. You know, I think that, sure, could he have a great defensive season like Sauce Gardner last year for the Jets? Sure, but I think you can't expect him to be perfect. You know, I think that's what I'm trying to say, that he's a guy with a lot of potential, with a lot of ability, but it's the NFL. You know, player, players are very good. You know, it's the best football players in the world. So, you know, I think Gonzalez is going to be put to the test in those first two weeks. You know, maybe even the first four weeks, if you think about, you know, some of the receivers that they're going to have to match up against, you know, with the Eagles, with A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill with the Dolphins, you know, Garrett Wilson with the Jets, C.B. Lamb with the Cowboys. You think about some of those, you know, big name receivers they're going to have to be going against. So. You know, I think I'm excited because I think Christian's up for the challenge, Gonzalez. So I think that'll be interesting to see. You know, I think offensively, and I kind of have noted this throughout, you know, the the training camp and the preseason, that it just seems a lot cleaner. You know, the communication is down. You know, guys know what they're doing. You know, I think it's kind of hard to glean a lot offensively because, Teams aren't really game planning in the preseason. They kind of just go out and see what individual guys can do. And I think that's kind of what the preseason, the whole point of it is, is to kind of get looks at individual players. It's kind of more of an individual results game than it is a team results game. So, 
you know, not really worried the games that they're not scoring a lot of points because, you know, if they're playing with, you know, backups and third stringers and no disrespect to those guys, but, you know, you're not expecting those guys to play in the regular season, you know, unless things get really, really dire. Um, but I think, you know, with the bits that Mac Jones played in the Green Bay game, pretty happy with it, you know, I think. Would I, would I personally have liked him to play in another game? I think so, but I think at the same time, you think about some of the issues they were having with the offensive line. Maybe it was smart to not have Mac Jones play in that final game in particular, because I think with kind of that patchwork line, you wouldn't want him taking a hard hit and getting hurt. And I think, you know, if you watched Patriots-Packers game, you know, uh, the unfortunate injury that happened to Isaiah Bolden, I mean, I think that is... It's, it's difficult because I know that that type of play can happen in any game. And so it's not necessarily, oh, it's a preseason issue, but it's like, that is exactly why you are careful with your starters in the preseason, because stuff like that can happen. And I think it's just like, you want to be as careful as you can. Obviously, we know that game reps are important. They are the most important, you know, kind of reps, because I think you're going full speed, you're going against another team, you're really kind of showing what you can do. Um, and I think, you know, practice reps are are fine, but I think there's nothing that, you know, mimics a game than preseason reps. But, you know, I don't really have a big issue with the starters not playing in the Titans game because I think it's an opportunity for, you know, your guys that are on the roster bubble, you know, could be even guys that get cut, but other teams are watching. So preseason games are important for everyone playing. Um, it's not just a, you know, it's it's the starters that matter. It's everyone that matters playing and, you know, trying to nail down a roster spot with whatever team you're on or perhaps a different team. Um, so I just, I personally didn't have time for the people complaining that the starters weren't playing in that final game because it's like, well, before there were three preseason games, the fourth preseason game, you didn't necessarily play your starters either. So I kind of guess I'm missing that, you know, unless people are intentionally trying to get attention for themselves, which around these parts, it's not necessarily a, a new uh, phenomenon. But, you know, I think the decisions that were made or the decisions that were made for the best part, the, the, the betterment of the team. Um, and I think part of that was the decision to, you know, cancel those joint practices and come back to, you know, Gillette and kind of be in a better mental space, you know, having Isaiah Bolden back on the plane coming home. And I think just kind of being able to be around him because, you know, I think whenever big, whenever, Injuries like that happen, it's terrifying. And I think it kind of gives you, the, those guys, kind of a shock that like, okay, we're playing a very violent, dangerous game. Something like that can happen anytime you step on the field. And I think it maybe just got to them. And I think 
nothing wrong with canceling the joint practices. And by the way, you know, joint practices are not something that every team does, you know. And so I think, I don't know if you're seeing more, you know, joint practices that happen over the next couple of years. I mean, I kind of remember, well, I don't remember because I was away at the time, but Patriots and Panthers had those joint practices last year and there were multiple fights, you know, and, and, and things like that. And so I think, you know, it might just be too much for certain teams that it's just, you know, you're seeing too many fights, not enough, you know, focused play. So um, I think just trying to think of any other kind of preseason thoughts. I mean, I wish we could have seen Nick Folk and Chatter Island kick a little bit more, you know, kind of have some game reps for the both of them to see kind of where they're at. So, you know, the kicking game will be interesting to see what happens. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, really didn't have an issue with Mac Jones and the way that he played the Green Bay game. I mean, I think he looked fine, you know, didn't have a great, didn't have great protection. So that kind of stunk, but had some good throws. You know, I think you saw little bits and pieces of some maybe new things that they're trying to do, you know, RPOs and things like that, which I think really help out. Um, the skill set of certain guys. So excited to see, you know, where they go in the regular season. You know, the addition of Ezekiel Elliott, great addition. Uh, I think uh, he's going to make things so much easier for the offense. You know, give you another safety valve to throw the ball to on third down. A guy that you can give the ball to inside the red zone, inside the five, and he can just, you know, pound it up in there. And I think kind of is, kind of was one of the weaknesses in Stevenson's game last year where, you know, they would try to give him the ball inside the five and he gets stopped. You know, Elliot is a guy that has a nose for the end zone. And, you know, even with his kind of split time, if you want to call it that, Pollard last year in Dallas, he still scored 12 touchdowns, you know. And so it's like, okay, that gives you another option down on the goal line. You can give the ball to and he'll you know, jump over the goal line, barrel over someone, and just gives you someone else that the defense, you know, has to think about down there, which I think really, again, the red zone offense is the most important thing for this team. And if you have as many options down down there as you can, you know, that's great. You know, Devontae Parker with, you know, jump balls, Juju Smith-Schuster with catches underneath and he can make moves. You know, Gesicki in the end zone, Henry in the end zone. Both of those guys are great red zone targets. And then you add Elliott, a guy that can catch passes and score, but can run it in as well. So, you know, I think it's just the variety um, is kind of what you're looking for with the offense. So hopefully we can see that, you know, and see that as early as uh, week one against the Eagles. Uh, but we'll see. So I think... You know, I think Zappy with the way that he played um, in Tennessee, not exactly uh, great, but I think I think that this is this is kind of difficult, but I think the, the the frustrating thing for me, I think, with the whole quarterback thing is there are kind of 
distorted views of both of these guys that I think have kind of messed with the fan base a little bit, just in the sense that I think there is a part of this fan base that thinks that Mac Jones is much worse than he is and thinks that Bailey Zappi is much better than he is. And I think, unfortunately, because of the results last season and how kind of helter-skelter the whole offense was the entire year, people kind of have a different, or a, a much different view than reality with both of these guys. And I think it's unfortunate because I think, look, Zappi is a guy that has ability to play quarterback in this league. Is he going to be a starter for the majority of his career? I'd be surprised. You know, I think that he could carve out kind of a career backup role, which there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I just think, you know, Zappi got thrust into a situation last year that, you know, under any other circumstances, he wouldn't have played last year. And I think that's, you know, people kind of forget that, that I think people want to think that Zappi took the job from Mac Jones last year, and that's couldn't be further from the truth. You know, Mac Jones sprains his ankle at the end of the Ravens game. Zappi comes in and plays, you know, part of the Green Bay game, plays two other games, and the Patriots are able to win. And I think, you know, then people, like, start picking sides and thinking that this is a Brady Bledsoe type of thing, and it, you know, couldn't be further from from that. Um, and so I think, I don't know, unfortunately, there's part of the fan base that, you know, wants this to be a quarterback competition. They want both guys to not like each other. They, you know, just create these scenarios in their head. And it's unfortunate because I think, then you see Zappi play very poorly in parts of the preseason. And it's like, I don't want to say that that's who he is, but I think people think that he's much better than he actually is. And he was, what, a fourth, fifth-round pick out of Western Kentucky. And again, it's no disrespect to him, but I don't really think he's going to be a starter in the NFL. If he could carve out a, a backup role for his career, that's great. But I think people think that he's much better than he actually is. And then on the other hand, people think Mac Jones is worse because I think people kind of bought into the idea that he's, you know, uh, a spoiled crybaby or whatever and has an ego problem. And, you know, that was kind of... Ugh, I don't really even want to talk about what I'm going to talk about, but it's like I almost feel like People kind of ate the garbage on the, uh, you know, Ben Volan story last year that he put out there that, you know, Mac has like an attitude problem or, you know, is whatever he was trying to say. And, you know, the story that he put out ended up being bogus, which I think is kind of ridiculous that he's still able to cover uh the NFL for the Boston Globe, but that's just me. Um, and I think people bought into that and were like, oh, you know, Mac thinks that his job is, you know, guaranteed and whatnot. And I think people kind of hold 
stuff like that against him, you know, which is unfortunate. And I think, you know, I think I, it's, it's kind of like a roundabout way of saying that I think Mac Jones clearly is the starter, was clearly the starters pretty much since the moment he got here. And, you know, Zappy only got time last year because of Mac's injury. So, you know, I don't want to think, say that this is, you know, means that Zappy, oh, stinks, isn't a good quarterback. But I think people think that he's much better than he really is. And I think kind of what you saw last year is pretty much what he is. Yes, he's a guy that can step in and do well at times, but he can also be a guy that, you know, turns the ball over a lot and doesn't make good decisions. And I think, sure, did Mac not have the best season last year? That's absolutely right, but I think he gives you a better chance to win. He is more likely to make smarter decisions. Does Mac make bad decisions from time to time? Absolutely he does. He's not perfect, and I think we have to remember that he's not Tom Brady. People have to remember that, okay, we saw Brady for this team for 20 years. There's a new quarterback. It's not going to be, like, Tom Brady should not be the expectation. And I think some people still have that expectation, and if Mac is not as good as that, then he stinks. So I don't want to ramble on too much more, but just kind of thoughts there about the quarterback. Um, some other Patriots stuff I wanted to get into. Yes, doing a roster projection, which uh, I'm going to do right now. Realized I took a little bit of time talking there, but... <clears throat> yeah, we're going to do roster projection here. I um, think I'm just going to go position by position and... Have this be the uh, official uh, roster projection. So the uh, cutdown day is tomorrow. The deadline is 4 o'clock. So you'll see a lot of guys being uh, released between now and then. Some of the guys that get released will get brought back onto the practice squad. Um, so you will see that as well. I think there are about 16 spots on the practice squad. So Patriots already made some cuts yesterday. So uh, take a look at the projection here. So for the quarterbacks, Jones and Zappi, you know, no real questions there. Um, I do believe Malik Cunningham makes the team. Um, and I do believe that, look, is he necessarily going to be a quarterback? Who knows? Could the Patriots list him as a wide receiver, list him as something else? That's possible, but I think he makes the team, uh, continues to streak up undrafted guys uh, that make the Patriots roster. I think just the Patriots spent a lot of money on him as an undrafted free agent, and I think that should tell you that he will make his way onto the roster. Now, it'll be interesting to see how they utilize him. You know, is he going to be a third-string quarterback? Do they roll him out at receiver every once in a while? You know, does he help the team game plan for guys like Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen in practice. You know, do they do something like that? I do think he ends up making the team, and I think 
he and Zappi, it makes a pretty interesting comp competition for that second quarterback spot. Uh, but I do think Cunningham makes it. I think he'll be that third-string quarterback. You know, fingers crossed. He doesn't need to play this year. You know, in terms of starting games, maybe he gets in there for some weird wildcat type of stuff. You know, we'll see. But I think that he makes it. I think in terms of the running backs, Stevenson and Elliott, Ty Montgomery's return to practice. He seems to be healthy and ready to go, so I think he makes the roster. I have J.J. Taylor making it as well. Um, I think he's come on strong over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Kevin Harris, I think, gets cut. Could be brought back on the practice squad. I think that's a possibility. For the receivers, this is where it gets interesting. I have the Patriots carrying six receivers this season. They have not done that since 2019. Bourne, Parker, Smith-Schuster, um, Keishon Booty, who's been very good recently in practice and in some preseason games. Uh, Pop Douglas is making the team as well. Uh, has had a really good really good camp. Has played a couple snaps in the preseason. Haven't been able to see him really kind of get an opportunity in preseason games. Made a catch in the Green Bay game, I believe. So I think he makes it. Tyquan Thornton, I think, makes the roster as well. He's been struggling with some injuries. Surprise, surprise. Um, but I think he makes the roster. I think, you know, having kind of a straight line speed guy, they could use a guy like that. And I also just think, I don't think they're giving up on him um, with this being his second year in the league. So I think he makes the roster. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if he you know, starts the season on the roster, if they have to put him on a short-term injured reserve or something like that. We'll see. But I think he makes it. I think for the tight ends, Henry and Gesicki, you know, I debated about them carrying a third tight end, but I think, you know, it's funny. Uh, after I had, you know, made this uh, projection last night, read the Globe this morning, and uh, Nicole Yang had an article about uh you know, different players on the bubble. Um, and she wrote about the exact thing that I was thinking about, that, you know, the Patriots uh, may not use a third tight end for blocking purposes, but they can always use kind of a, a jumbo package with a sixth offensive lineman. So that's part of the reason why I didn't have them carrying three. You know, I don't know if Sokol or... Oh, man, who's the other... There's another tight end... That I think is, that I think is still on the roster. Oh, Ferkser, yeah. I don't think either one of them has done enough in reg in uh, preseason or training camp to earn a spot. So I don't think they make it. But I think, I think Sokol in particular could be a guy that you could, you know, bring back on the practice squad. He's played for the Patriots for a couple years, been in a couple games, has some experience. So. You know, I could see him being on the practice squad, being elevated if, you know, if there's an injury to one of the tight ends. So, Henry and Gesicki, that's who I have. Um, offensive line. This is where it gets very interesting. Uh, because I think injuries have played uh, a bit of a role in this. As to, you know, who makes the roster, who's unavailable, that sort of thing. So, there could be a lot of moving parts here. Um, so I may not get all of these right. I'd be shocked if I did. Um, but I have David Andrews, Trent Brown, Cole Strange, Micah Wenu, uh, Riley Reef, 
uh, Vidarian Lowe, who they picked up in a trade yesterday for a sixth-round pick. I think he makes it. City Sow, Antonio Maffi, Tyrone Wheatley, who the Patriots traded for yesterday as well, um, and Jake Andrews, so both Wheatley and Lowe. Offensive tackles, Patriots, I think, need that need that depth. I think specifically if haven't seen much of McDermott or Calvin Anderson in preseason in uh, training camp. Riley Reef obviously went down in the Titans game, so I think important to have some depth there. Um, I think you know Reef is the guy I'm most interested to see if he makes the team. I don't know if injury you know factors into that, but I think he makes it. Um, if he's healthy, if he's not, you know, then who knows? So I think I'm pretty happy with that group. Um, some guys that can help on the interior or possibly kick out to tackle. I think there is a distinct possibility that Owenu, who is their right guard last year, kicks out to right tackle and the Patriots put someone else at that guard spot. I think that it was interesting that Reef before his injury was playing a lot of right guard. So be interesting to see if Owenu does kick out to tackle, do they get someone else to play on the interior? So that's what I have for the offensive line. For the defensive line, I have six uh, Dietrich Wise, uh, Christian Barmore, Lawrence Guy, Devon Gaja, Keon White, and Daniel Equale. I don't really think. I had much of an issue picking these guys. You know, defensively, I think it's pretty straightforward. You know, the only guy I wasn't sure about was Marte Mapu. You know, where is he going to be? What position group is he going to be in? So I had him listed as a safety along with Adrian Phillips, Jalen Mills, Jabril Peppers, and Kyle Duggar. And then the linebackers, Judon, Uche, Bentley, Tavai, Jennings, Mac Wilson and Chris Board. And then at corner, Jonathan Jones, Gonzalez, uh, Marcus Jones, Jack Jones, and Miles Bryant. Um, and then Slater, Schooler, and uh, Joe Cardona as the special teamers. Bryce Berenger, I think, very clearly uh, won the starting job as the punter. So um, I think he'll be the new punter, was crushing it in the preseason, really pleased. Uh, to see the job that he did. So I think he makes it. Um, I think Chad Ryland gets the job. I think that this is going to be a decision that might surprise some people uh, because I think some folks, including Mike Reese, you know, think that Folk has not done anything to lose the starting kicker job. But my thing is just like the Patriots need a guy that can kick the ball through the end zone on kickoffs. And I think Ryland should be their guy. They traded up in the draft for him, and he's got a good leg, and I understand that maybe there's some questions about accuracy, but it's like you have to make a hard decision. Um, and I think that this might be one of their, if not their hardest decision, um, to go with Ryland as their starting kicker. That's what I think happens. You know, the 53-man, this is what I think. It's entirely possible that it is a, a different group. Or there are, you know, some different guys, but I think the majority of those guys that I mentioned will be on the roster. Maybe some some uh, variations when the uh, final roster is revealed uh, tomorrow. So, you know, I think the injuries 
more of kind of a question on the offensive line. Um, you know, Thornton kind of be monitoring as well. Uh, the Patriots did bring in Trey Flowers, uh, the former defensive lineman. I think he is currently on the PUP list. So unclear if he would get activated at some point. You know, not sure if he makes the roster or I think you're allowed to have a player or two on that list and then they can be activated after a certain amount of time. Um, and then the only other kind of question here is Jonathan Jones. You know, he mentioned that he's hoping to be ready for week one. And I think, you know, something to just think about. He's not available. You know, can the Patriots have someone off of the the practice squad, which I think they probably will carry a couple of defensive backs. Um, and then just finally, you know, making the trade to get Tyrone Wheatley, the um, offensive tackle from the Browns, the Patriots traded uh, Pierre Strong, which I think stinks because I kind of thought that he would make an impact for this team you know, based on the little usage he got last year uh, in that Cardinals game that I thought he looked really good. And I think at times looked good in the preseason, but I think just unfortunately was not able to make the inroads that he wanted. And I think the, tri the, the, the signing of Elliott kind of made it look like, okay, there's someone that's going to be moved. Uh, you know, it stinks it was strong. I don't know if he really ever got quite the run that we wanted him to, but I think with Montgomery looking like he's more healthy, the Patriots kind of had a surplus um, at running back and need offensive tackle depth. Um, so I think that they had, that's why they made the move. You know, I think it's, you know, too bad. Would have liked Pierre to work out here. Uh, but, you know, that's the nature of the game. You know, sometimes, you know, an opportunity is there. You can't grab it because of an injury or something else. You know, it stinks. So, you know, hope that he finds uh, greener pastures in uh, Cleveland. So I think that's going to do it for the Patriots. You know, I think next week I'll have more of a, uh, you know, season preview, looking at certain guys and maybe predictions about who's going to step up, you know, what the team's record's going to be and things like that. So... We'll look forward to that. So I think, yeah, we're going to move on, talk a little Red Sox. Um, and yeah, kind of a bittersweet return uh, for Mookie Betts to, to Fenway. Well, bittersweet for me at least. Um, you know, I think I've probably, you know, shared my thoughts about that trade many a times uh, throughout the last couple of years. But, you know, Mookie was back this, this weekend with the Dodgers, and I think, you know, naturally brought up a lot of conversations about, you know, yeah, you wish that he was still with this team, and you wish that, you know, the Red Sox had made a long-term contract work out, and I think, you know, sure, you can have your own opinions about, you know, Mookie saying that he was offered a certain amount, and then saying he wasn't, you know, it's, is what it is you know people are going to have their own opinions but you know i think certainly bittersweet i think bitter because he probably should still be with this team you know i think that 
for me at least, there's no excuse for why he's not with this team. You know, I think that, you know, for whatever reason, I think ownership thinks that they, I don't, I don't know, they, they think that they know better. And I think they think that they're smarter than they are. Um, and it just is, I, I really, there's really no defense against not signing Mookie Betts long-term and giving him the amount of money that he should have. Like, there's really no excuse. You know, we've seen the type of player that he's been over the last couple of years in L.A., you know, is one of the, if not the best player in baseball right now. So it's like, yeah, you should have paid up for the guy. You know, there's really no defense for it. And, yeah, I totally blame ownership. I don't think, well, I think the part that might be on Bloom is the return that the Red Sox got probably could have gotten a better return for Mookie. You know, I think that, you know, Verdugo is a fine player. Connor Wong is a fine player. You know, both decent guys, but I think there should have been a better return for that. And I think that's kind of where Bloom falls short. But I think in terms of trading Mookie, getting rid of him because you didn't want to pay him, that is squarely on ownership. And, you know, I hope it's stung for ownership this weekend uh, to see Mookie Betts play well the Dodgers and be like, you should assign me long term. And it kind of makes me laugh because you look at what the Red Sox did for Devers this summer or the, the, this offseason, that they were able to give him a long term deal. And, you know, no disrespect to Rafi. He's a hell of a player. He's a really good offensive player. Defensively, he's kind of got some warts. You know, Mookie Betts, to me, is by far a better player than Devers. I don't think it's particularly close. And, you know, yet the Red Sox, you know, choose to sign one of them. You know, I'm not trying to say Devers is, like, much worse, but it's like, it kind of makes me laugh that the Red Sox could have easily had both of these guys, you know, franchise cornerstones. You know, and they just choose not to pay one guy, but they choose to pay another guy. It's just very, very weird. So, you know, yeah, I think it's it's frustrating because you see how well the Dodgers are doing and their World Series favorite yet again. And here the Red Sox are just kind of middling away another season, basically. So, you know, I think, though, at a certain point, it has been three years, you know, kind of need to just move on and accept that, yes, you traded this guy. It was a terrible trade, one of the worst trades in franchise history, you know, but you got to move on. You got to kind of just work with what you got. But by no means does that mean that ownership's off the hook. Absolutely not. You know, I think it's just like, there. again, there's no excuse for it, so... You know, it, it stunk to see him back here, you know, in Dodgers uniform and, you know, crushing the team that he should have been here, you know, forever. He should have been here for his entire career. And, you know, yeah, ownership decides not to pay him. And, you know, Dodgers have won a World Series. They could be on their way to another this year, you know, and to add insult to injury, Mookie had a great series. I think was 7 for 15 in the series. So, you know, yeah, did a lot of damage. Uh, homered yesterday in the Dodgers win. 
Dodgers take two out of three, and yeah, I mean, this weekend is pretty much just about Mookie Betts, really not about anything the Red Sox were doing, you know, so it kind of just gives you an idea of, okay, here's a team that, that got rid of a, you know, cornerstone player, and they're kind of just middling. You know, this is a team that, since that trade, you know what, last place finish, ALCS, last place finish, likely fourth place finish this year. You know, it's like you have one team that acquires a superstar player, and they're on the upswing. They probably will be for the next couple of years. And the Red Sox, you know, just kind of the same. So, just, it stinks. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, like I think. Obviously, try to be optimistic on this podcast, but, you know, I'm not going to lie. It really stunk to see him uh, in a Dodgers uniform this weekend, but uh, it was lovely to see the uh, reaction uh, that he got with his return and, you know, saying thank you to the crowd. The crowd loves him. I mean, everyone loves him here in Boston, even those people that, you know, I don't know, want to say that he didn't like it here. That's just incorrect. You know, I think that maybe I thought that, at some point, but I think clearly, like, he did want to be here. The Red Sox chose not to pay him and then traded him. I mean, I think that's pretty pretty simple. Um, you know, as far as this Red Sox team, it kind of is just more of the same. And I think, you know, it's, it, it's frustrating because they, and they've done this all season, make no, make no mistake, they suck you in. You know, they play really good baseball for a game or two, or for three or four. And then they lose games to teams that they shouldn't, or just lose games. And I think, you know, we've come to expect this type of play from this team. You know, 69 and 62 at the moment, four and a half games out of the wild card. And, you know, I think... Unless there is something drastic that changes, you know, this team will not be making the playoffs. Um, and I think, you know, ownership and Bloom have to get this offseason right. And if they don't, I think that there could be some big changes here. And look, make no mistake, there will not be the change. There, there will not be the changes that need to be made in this organization until ownership sells the team. I just, I refuse to believe that the ownership is going to do kind of the necessary stuff. Um, and I think, you know, it's an important offseason. It really is. The Red Sox really have to get back into contention. And, you know, I don't know what that means in terms of player personnel. Who do they try to bring in? Who knows? But you have to field a competitive team and a team that every position is set. Do not have second base as a, excuse my language, a goddamn revolving door. Can we please get someone to play that position, to play that position and not be playing this musical chairs of who can play second base, grab a guy to play second base, stick him there, and that's it. You know, I think having Story back for the full season will help, absolutely, you know, starting pitching. 
needs to be a priority. Red Sox kind of, you know, I think tried with Corey Kluber, obviously didn't work. You know, found Brian Bayo, who at times this year has been their best pitcher. You know, Chris Sale, who I think can still pitch at a high level. It's just you can't really count on him for a lot of starts. You know, I think that there are other guys that have pitched well at times, you know, Paxton, but I can't imagine that he's back. You know, Hauk, I think, could be back. You know, Whitlock, if the Red Sox ever figure out what he is, uh, if he's a starting pitcher or reliever, but, you know, and then kind of figure out the outfield. You know, Duvall probably isn't back. You know, I don't know about Turner. Do the Red Sox trade Verdugo? I kind of feel like they should, but, you know, it's just a lot of question marks, a lot of decisions that I think need to be made. They need to pull the trigger and be decisive on on the, the moves that they make, and I think that's the biggest thing. I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but I think to a point, it doesn't matter what you do. You need to be decisive, and you need to say, this is our starting second baseman. This is our starting center fielder. Can't do this. Oh, well, you know, we can platoon or, you know, do some analytics BS. It's like, had enough of it, to be perfectly honest. You know, I think that the pieces are there for them to be a quality team but they have to nail the offseason. They really have to. And I think, you know, it's, I think it's like, that's what I'm focused on here because I don't think that they're making the playoffs. I'm not going to get fooled in what they do the next, you know, month plus, you know, 31 games. I think the approach is to kind of just get guys ready for next season, you know, continue to get story reps at shortstop, continue to get him at bats. So he can try to get into a rhythm, continue to, you know, give Casas the playing time that he should be getting. And I think, look, offensively, he's been great. You know, his 21 home runs this season, you know, keep riding him, get Duran back in the lineup, you know, so he can play some center field. Um, You know, I think that the guys on that team are going to continue to play hard, which is great. But I think, you know, they got to nail the offseason they got to do something with, you know, if trying to figure out why this team continues to make, you know, boneheaded mistakes, you know, fundamental stuff defensively, base running and things like that. <clears throat> because those big mistakes are still happening. You know, something needs to change. <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, it's just there's a lot. But I think four and a half games back with this team, 31 games to go, very unlikely. I think they're making the playoffs. So, you know, I think it's just, again, focusing on those certain guys that can continue to get reps, and then you see where they're at in spring training. So I think, you know, that's kind of their approach for the final 31 games. You know, I don't think they should be really concerned about the playoffs because I don't think they're making it unless a team falls flat on their face and the Red Sox can take advantage of it. They've not been able to this whole, this entire season. So I don't know what makes you think they would in the final 31 games, but you know, who knows? Crazy things can happen in baseball. Um, so the Red Sox will welcome the Astros to Fenway. Red Sox recently split a four game series with them last week. So Houston's here uh, tonight, Tuesday and Wednesday sale. Bayo and Cutter Crawford get the starts. 
this week, and then the Red Sox will go off to Kansas City to play a three-game set with the Royals. So 69-62, four and a half games back for this Red Sox team, so we'll give you an update on the uh, standings in a little bit. So we're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Bruins. Uh, yeah, it's been a summer of uh, regret and uh, change, I'll tell you that much. Uh, it still really stinks thinking about the, uh, the exit from last year, but it happened. And, you know, I think you as a franchise, you got to move on. And I think they're moving on in more, more ways than one. I think with, you know, Bergeron's retirement and now David Krejci's retirement and you know, obviously didn't really get a chance to talk about David when he retired because that actually happened while I was away. But, you know, again, I think just a guy like Bergeron, just the, the consummate professional and did went about everything the right way. And I think, you know, a, a much more of a, of a soft-spoken guy than Bergeron. But, you know, David was just a pro's pro, a guy that was very serious about you know, his work and, you know, man, for a couple of those playoff runs, turned it on and performed in a way that we've not seen a lot of Bruins players perform, you know, in playoff runs, I think, particularly when you look at the, uh, you know, cup runs in 2011 and 2013, you know, leading the postseason in points. I think just, just a tremendous, tremendous setup guy. And I think, should be remembered for his great postseasons, you know, and solid regular seasons as well. You know, came back after a season away and put up 56 points last year. So, you know, again, just happy trails to David, you know, hope that he finds something as, you know, he's passionate about in his, you know, post-playing career. I think it is possible that he might still play, uh, in uh, a tournament for the Czech Republic at some point. But, um, you know, I think as he said, kind of his body probably just couldn't take another season, which, you know, is understandable. I think the, the Bruins knew what the deal was with him last year that, okay, he's coming back for one more year, one last run. And yeah, you know, the, the team came up short and it sucks, but I think you know, the organization knew this, knew this day was, knew this day was coming. You know, the Bergeron and Krejci were going to be done and you kind of had to figure out what's next. So, um, really, you know, could go on and on about, uh, David and what he meant to the team and the organization of the city, but, you know, don't want to spend too much time, but, um, congratulations, uh, David and your family. Uh, it was a great joy to be able to watch you for, for so many years. You know, I have a, a poster from uh, when I went to a game this past year uh, right behind me. So uh, whenever I come over to my computer in the morning, always, always look at that poster. So, um, you know, I think, uh, yeah, one of the all-time great Bruins, that's for sure. Um, so some other kind of little Bruins bits that I wanted to talk about. There's not been a whole lot of news, although the Bruins did sign uh, Alex Chase on to a professional tryout so he will uh, report to training camp in a couple weeks and maybe you know be in competition for some one of those uh, bottom six roles 
played in 20 games last year for the Red Wings. Had nine points, has played for a couple of different teams throughout his career. Detroit, Vancouver, Washington, Calgary, Ottawa, Dallas, and Edmonton. So, you know, I think a decent guy that I think, should he make the team, you know, could give you some looks on the power play. You know, again, with a guy signing for a PTO, you kind of never know. Could be a guy that just just doesn't make the team, and that's that. Does he make the team? Does he even get onto the roster? It is it is a possibility, but uh, won the Cup with Washington in 2018. Uh, played at BU quite a long time ago, I think. Let me just look at his years playing at BU. Because, uh, yeah, quite a long time ago. Yeah, 2009 to 2012. Played three seasons at BU. Had 46 points in his final year at BU in 2012. Uh, so, I think the only other bit of Bruin stuff that seen some things floated around recently um, is Jake DeBrusque, uh, who will be a free agent at the end of the season. And I think could be an extension candidate. Absolutely. I think for me, the Bruins should extend him for the years. You know, who knows for the money, who knows, because I think the cap is going to jump. So, you know, they could give him what appears to look like a lot. It may not be that much when you really consider with the cap jumping. But I think he should stick around because I think the Bruins need, you need as many goal scorers as you can get. And I think, you know, you got your Pasternak, you got your Marchand still, but who knows for how much longer. You know, I think getting to Brusque signed here long-term could be great. And I think it's something that would help his confidence. I think for the Bruins to say, okay, we believe in you. Um, it's going to be an interesting season for him. Without Bergeron, you know, where does he get slotted in the lineup? But Make no mistake, this is a guy that if if he doesn't get hurt in the Winter Classic, he scores 30 goals. He maybe even scores 35 last year. You know, scored 27 last year, set career highs and goals and points. I think that that could possibly go up this year. Uh, but when he's playing his best, he's really, really, really solid and, you know, would like to see him stick around. So, you know... I think obviously if the Bruins sign him to an extension right now, okay, they're, you know, not really, not, I don't want to say this, but like not giving him the season to, to prove it. But then again, like, I don't know if they want him doing, playing through the season and then being a free agent. So that will be kind of interesting, but I would sign Jake long-term, you know, six, seven years, whatever it is. In terms of the money, I really have no idea, you know, it's made will make $4 million this year, you know, I think could see a pretty modest bump to, I think, at least $6 million, uh, if I'm being honest. So, you know, that will be something interesting to pay attention to over the next few weeks, you know, perhaps as we get closer to training camp, is there an extension that gets announced? Um, so I think we're going to move on quickly, talk about the revolution. Uh, Revs returned from 
their break after the League's Cup and matched up with the uh, Montreal or with Montreal uh, this weekend. Lost one to nothing with a late goal uh, from George Campbell, defender from Montreal. So the Revs drop their first game back. The Revs will be back in action um, at Gillette Stadium on Wednesday against the New York Red Bulls. Um, and then they will have another home game this weekend, Saturday, against Austin. So hope the Revs can kind of get back on track because I believe they're still undefeated at home um, in MLS competition. So be interesting to see. Um, obviously, plenty of other news around the revolution with uh, news that Georgie Petrovic has been signed by Chelsea over in the Premier League. So, you know, Jorge, I think, gave uh, pretty much everything to this Revs team uh, and just an outstanding goalie. And I think should he get an opportunity at Chelsea, I think he'll make the most of it. I think it was really good here at the MLS. And I think very clearly was a guy where it's like, okay, it's just a matter of time uh, before he gets moved elsewhere. Revs, I think, picking up a fifth, I think, the transfer fee was about $15 million, so um, he will go over there. Revs have had some injuries recently, or some guys that I think didn't play on Saturday. Uh, Andrew Farrell, Brandon Bai, uh, Gustavo Bowe. But I think for the Revs, with all this movement, you know, Tomas Chancolet got into a game. He was a signing from a couple weeks ago. He got into a game, you know, Vrioni's been starting. You know, the Revs are getting, I think, another goalie, Tomas Voslik uh, from, I think, I think it's one of the English teams, but not in the Premier League. Um, so he'll be coming over and I think be that kind of next guy's goaltend goalie from uh, the Czech Republic. Um, so, you know, seems like he'll kind of be the, uh, replacement uh, for Petrovic, so be interesting to see. But I think, you know, a lot of time off for the Revs, and I think, you know, it's tough to come back from, you know, being on a month and a half break. So, you know, you hope that they kind of get the momentum back with a couple games um, at home with uh, the, the Red Bulls. Or not, not so hot this year, because they're currently in 11th place in the East, and then the Revs play against 9th place, the Austin FC, Austin FC 9th in the West. So Revs have an opportunity, I think, for some home cooking, playing against some lesser teams. Uh, but I think the biggest thing between now and the playoffs, Revs have 10 more games is kind of just getting right, you know, working guys back into the lineup uh, from injury, you know, kind of getting their fitness right before the playoffs, which, you know, will probably be here sooner than sooner than they think, or will come up quickly. So, you know, you hope that they can get right, you know, get back into a rhythm, scoring some goals, you know, kind of really figure out who's going to be in that kind of attacking third, um, you know, working some guys back from injury, you know, getting Voslik into a rhythm, you know, with, with 
at that goalie. So, you know, and then hopefully the Revs will have a idea about some clarity with the Bruce Arena situation, which uh, still has not really had any clarity, you know, on administrative leave. I think if MLS working into an investigation of um, insensitive comments or remarks uh, that Arena made. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what, you know, happens with that when he returns, if he does. You know, kind of be interesting to see. But um, as I said, two games for the Reds this week, both at Gillette Wednesday night and Saturday night against the New York Red Bulls and Austin FC. So I think we're going to move into some Celtics. Celtics uh, had workouts for TJ Warren and Lamar Stevens last week. TJ Warren obviously played for the Suns last year. Has kind of dealt with some injuries over the last couple of years. You know, formerly played with Phoenix, actually, previously. So he's had two stops in Phoenix. And then was also in Indiana for a season and a little bit. So, you know, I think a guy that's a little bit more of a scorer, in my opinion, than a defensive guy. Not a great, you know, shooter. But I think a worthwhile guy to bring in, you know, just to see what he's got. And I think the Celtics, with the open roster spots that they have, you know, have kind of a need on the wing. And I think, you know, Warren would be a guy that could possibly fill that. You know, is this a role that's going to be playing major minutes? No, this is kind of just depth. Um, so TJ Warren, yeah, I think could be a a decent uh, addition. Lamar Stevens played for the Cavs last year. I think a little bit more of a defensive guy, uh, not as not a great three point shooter, but I think, you know, any kind of defensive depth you can bring in at this point uh, would make a lot of sense. So uh, Stevens and Warren, no announcement if there's been a contract offer or anything like that, but they just were both in for workouts. Blake Griffin still has not been signed by a team, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Celtics, you know, bring him back. But I think. You know, training camp is still a ways away. I think because of the FIBA tournament, the season is going to start a little bit later. So, you know, it could be possible that they sign Blake right before training camp. You know, he's a guy that I think could, again, be really helpful. I thought he was great for the team last year. Last year, So, great to see him back. Uh, Chris Stapps Porzingis seems like sitting out of the FIBA tournament with uh, Lafia, I think, uh, Still dealing with some foot stuff. I'll be honest, a little concerned about that. I uh, hope that it's not a big issue, but, you know, I think smart move for him to sit out this tournament. I mean, I know obviously it it stinks because you want to represent your, your country, but, you know, I think good for the Celtics that hopefully he can be healthy and ready to go by the time the season starts. Um, so one last Celtics thing. Taking a look at the schedule. Schedule got released a couple weeks ago, or maybe like a week and a half ago at this point. Uh, the Celtics have five preseason games, uh, two against the Sixers, two against the Knicks, and one against the Hornets. Preseason October 8th, October 9th, October 11th, October 17th, 
and October 19th. So Celtics, two home games, three road games for that schedule. And then the big schedule, the regular season schedule, uh, came out. So we'll just go through some key games. Celtics will open the season on October 25th in New York against the Knicks. And then the home opener, Friday night, October 27th, against the Miami Heat. And then just going to take a look at some games that might be interesting. Night before Thanksgiving, Celtics are at home against the Bucks. And then day after Thanksgiving, Celtics are in Orlando against the Magic. Christmas Day, Celtics and Lakers in L.A. Five o'clock starts. That will be a very fun matchup for the Celtics matchup against LeBron. Celtics play New Year's Eve in San Antonio. I'm trying to look at this uh, MLK Day game against uh, Toronto in Toronto at night. Super Bowl Sunday, Celtics will be in Miami at 2 o'clock. It's an afternoon game there. Celtics will play on St. Patrick's Day, 6 o'clock game in Washington. And then the Celtics will close the season with three straight against the Knicks, Hornets, and Wizards. Final game of the season is April 14th. So yes, the schedule is littered with uh, TNT, ABC, ESPN, Celtics are one of the best teams in the league, so they will be on TV quite a bit. So uh, I think also just a note as well, may have mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but uh, Mike Gorman, the Celtics' longtime play-by-play uh, -play announcer, announced that this will be his final season. So uh, definitely look forward to NBC Boston with uh, various tributes uh, to Mike throughout the season. So looking forward to that. Mike's a... Uh, one of the best, just one of the best in the game. I think lucky, I've been lucky enough to be listening to him doing Celtics games for as long as I can remember. You know, six, seven years old when I started watching, you know, sports for the first time. One of the uh, first voices that I remember and uh, called so many classic Celtics moments uh, throughout the years, you know. So looking forward to reliving some of those clips. Uh, this season, so we hope, uh, wish Mike well for his uh, farewell season coming up with the Celtics. So I think that is going to do it. We're going to get into some uh, notes from around sports. And yes, I do have a little bit at the end. We're starting to do some uh, different stuff at the end of shows as kind of a something interesting, so we'll do that. So we'll take a look at some NFL notes the preseason is complete. There was a there were games yesterday, so no more football until uh, September seventh when the Lions play the Chiefs in the uh, NFL season opener. So C.J. Stroud has been named the Texans starter after he led the Texans to a win last night um, in their preseason finale. So uh, Trey Lance obviously moved to the Cowboys earlier this week. Kind of an interesting trade. We'll see uh, Josh Jacobs agreeing to contract terms with the Raiders. So he's back. Uh, Chris Jones and the Chiefs. You know, he's basically, uh, I think, threatening to uh, hold out and sit out until week eight. So it'll be interesting to see if that gets 
squared away at some point, or do the Chiefs uh, go into the season without their top uh, defensive lineman? So obviously, as I mentioned, the uh, season opener Thursday, September 7th, in Kansas City, Lions and Chiefs to open the season. So some MLB notes here. California winning the Little League World Series title with a walk-off home run yesterday. Uh, some bean balls flying in Tampa Bay yesterday with the Yankees and the Rays. The uh, Guardians releasing Noah Syndergaard. And we'll get to the standings. So Tampa Bay, or excuse me, Baltimore remaining in first place two games in head. Two games ahead of Tampa. Minnesota in first place in the Central. Six games up on Cleveland. Seattle, a one-game lead over Texas. And Houston in the West. Things are going to get very interesting in that AL West uh, from now till the end of the season. Atlanta with a 12-and-a-half game lead. Uh, in the National League East, the Brewers lead the Central by four games, and the Dodgers lead the West by 12 games. And in the wild card standings, you have Tampa Bay, Texas, and Houston in the wild card spots with Toronto two and a half back, and the Red Sox four and a half back. In the National League, Philadelphia, Chicago, and Arizona in the wild card spots with San Francisco and Cincinnati a game and a half back in Miami. Three games back. So we'll take a look at some NHL notes. Um, Austin Matthews getting a new deal with the Maple Leafs four years for just over $13 million, um, making him, I believe, the highest paid player um, in the NHL. He was slated to hit free agency after this season, but he'll be in Toronto uh, for the next four years. Alexi Lafreniere signing a new deal with the Rangers for two years. Um, the NHL made an announcement the other day that there's um, an international tournament that they're looking to put in place for 2025 um, and looking to go to the Olympics in 2026. So be interesting to kind of follow along with that. Uh, Jonas Donskoy retiring from the NHL after seven seasons was a former Sharks winger, uh, scored a game-winning goal in uh, one of the Stanley Cup final games in 2016. Um, oh, I don't know what made me think. Oh, well, we're doing NBA next. I thought I had skipped past it. No, we'll get to the NBA. So, PJ Washington finally signing um, a new deal with the Hornets, three years for $48 million. Uh, in terms of the World Cup, the FIBA World Cup, uh, France bounced from the tournament after their loss in Latvia losing. Uh, Team USA won their World Cup opener and actually are currently playing right now in their second tune-up game. They have a 27-point lead over Greece with uh, two minutes to play. So let's take a look at some notes from the FIBA World Cup. Uh, Team USA will play, I believe that they will play one more game Two more, or no, one more, excuse me. Uh, they will play against Jordan Wednesday morning at 4.30. And then the, uh, like 
knockout round starts this weekend, and then the finals are on September 10th. So Team USA looking like they're going to be advancing to the knockout stage with a win today. It'll be interesting to see how they do against Jordan. Team USA had a bunch of uh, showcase games that they won all of them. So let's just take a look at the roster. So Paolo Bancaro, Mikhail Bridges, Jalen Brunson, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Jaron Jackson Jr., Cam Johnson, Walker Kessler, Bobby Portis, and Austin Reeves. So we'll get to the end of this. Uh, get to the end of this program. So uh, decided to do a kind of this day, this date in Boston sports history. I was able to find a Red Sox box score from 10 years ago today on August 28th, 2013. The Red Sox uh, beat the Orioles 4-3. The Red Sox scoring or down 3-1 entering the 7th inning. Red Sox tie the game in the 7th on Dustin Pedroia's 2-run single. And then Mike Karp drives in the go-ahead run in the 8th inning. Red Sox win 4-3. Craig Breslow gets the win in this game. And Koji Uihara gets uh, his 14th save of the season. John Lackey started this game. It was the 79th win for the Red Sox that season. And obviously, we know what happened the rest of the way. The Red Sox uh, winning their first World Series title in six years, and uh, Boston Strong. So just thought that was an inter interesting little thing we could put at the end. Um, so obviously, as you noticed on the social pages, no Guest Friday uh, this week, but we will have one next week. Just a little, a little inside information. It will be a Patriots mailbag, so start uh, thinking about some Patriot questions uh, to shoot my way that I will answer next Friday on September, let's get the date right, September 8th, two days before the Patriots a season opener against the Eagles. So as always, make sure to follow those uh, social pages on Facebook and X, you know, I don't care, I'm still going to call it Twitter, <laughs> on both of the social pages, uh, be sure to, you know, stay tuned. Because there are going to be a lot of updates, going to be, you know, moving around the country quite a bit over the next couple of weeks. Uh, so make sure to keep updated. And yes, yeah, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Yeah, if you leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, greatly appreciate it. If you leave a comment or anything like that, you know, any anything that you'd like me to talk more about, please do not hesitate to let me know. So we will. Uh, be back with you next week. Have a good rest of your week, folks.